Good morning, dear friends. Today is August the 2nd in the year 2012, and we are in the full moon meditation hall of the New Hamlet. Right now, we're going to do a meditation together. We're going to meditate on the birth of a flame. The birth of a flame. So, Please bring Ty the box of matches. Sister Harmony is going to write on the board the word nothing, nothing, and the word something. This is a very deep meditation, and the adults are also invited. If you can't hear clearly, please tell the sound team in the back of the hall. Please speak to the sisters taking care of the sound with the machines. Does nothing exist? then we have something. We think something is something existing. Like, for example, this piece of paper, is this nothing or is this something? This is something. Something. It exists. Does nothing also exist? That's a question. Does nothing exist? It's interesting, right? I think... If something exists, then nothing has to exist, just like left and right. If there's a left, there has to be a right. Just like if there's an above, there has to be a below. Right? Because if the I, if I exist, you have to exist too. Upper and lower, left and right. If one side exists, the other side has to exist too. So if something exists, then nothing has to exist too. What is the existence of nothing? This is a very deep thing. And then there's someone, somebody. Somebody, it means you, me, somebody exists. There's a boy, there's a girl, a woman, a man. These are somebodies. There is somebody. Somebody, anybody home? So somebody exists. And what's the opposite of somebody? Nobody. No one. There is nobody there. So the question is, can nothing become something? Can nobody become somebody? This is a question for philosophers, but now we are making a revolution. We're making this a question that's important for us to so we're meditating on birth and death. You may have seen the death of a bird, or maybe you've seen the death of a cat. Maybe you've seen the death of a frog. It doesn't move anymore. It doesn't eat anymore. It doesn't breathe anymore. It's sad, right? So we should meditate on death. After death, does that bird continue to exist? The bird is a something, 
and the bird, can it become nothing or not? This is an important question. You ask yourself, what happens when the bird dies? Is there someone or something that continues the bird? Is there anything continuing to exist? When a bird dies, does it continue to exist in another form, or is it just nothing? It's a very interesting thing. And the adults are invited to meditate with us. So right now we're going to meditate on the birth of a flame. You've seen a flame, right? Is the flame here right now? Is there a flame here? Is, right, is the flame right now a nothing or a something? We're all invited to look into this box of matches to see if the flame is there already. Where does a flame come from? Where does a flame come from? This is for us to think about, to reflect on. We need some reflection. Where does a flame come from? Does it come from nothing? This is a very important question. You can talk about it with your friends when you go back to school. Can a flame come from nothing? Is it possible for something to come from nothing? This flame that we are going to invite to come The flame isn't here right now in the form of a flame, but it is here in some way. It's hiding somewhere here in the box of matches. This flame is somewhere, right? It's just hiding. We can't say the flame isn't here. The other day, We got a seed of corn, right? When we look into the seed of corn, we can see a corn plant hiding inside, right? Do you agree? The plant is going to come out. It's going to manifest. But we don't say that right now the corn plant doesn't exist. It's here somewhere in the seed. So we cannot say that the corn plant comes from nothing, right? It comes from the corn seed, right? So a flame that we're talking about, it's going to come. But is it going to come from nothing or come from something? It will come from something. Right now we don't see the flame. But we know that it's hiding somewhere in the box of matches and also outside the box. If you are a scientist, you know very well that outside the box there's oxygen. Without oxygen, the flame will not be able to come. 
oxygen is something that we breathe in. If there is no oxygen, we ourselves cannot live. To live, we need to bring oxygen into our bodies. Oxygen is very important for life. So, without oxygen, we suffocate. We cannot live. And the same thing is true for a flame. Without oxygen, a flame cannot come. So the flame is hidden not only inside the box of matches, but also outside the box. We say the flame is hiding in the causes and conditions. There are causes inside the box, and there are causes outside. And maybe the flame is hiding in my fingers. How? Because to make the flame come, I need my fingers. My fingers can help the flame to come. So let's call to the flame. Dear little flame, I know you're there. You're hiding, right? Please, you have to come. You have to manifest. You have to show yourself to us. Come. And if we listen, we can hear the voice of the flame. And what is the flame saying? You need meditation. The flame is saying, Dear Thai, dear Sangha, I'm here. I'm hiding. I'm hiding inside the matchbox and also outside. I would like very much to come, but you have to help me. You have to make a movement. All the conditions are sufficient for me to come, but there's one condition not yet here. You have to help. You have to make a movement with your fingers with the match. So we're going to take out the match and and move it on the outside of the matchbox. So the flame has not yet been born, but it's already here. It's hiding. Right? So watch. We're going to breathe. And there it is. The flame is born. The flame is no longer hiding. The flame is born. It's here. Hello, my dear little flame. Are you going to stay with us a long time? You see the smoke? And do you see that there's heat coming off? There's color in the flame. There's the image of the flame, heat penetrating into us. There's smoke rising up into the sky. Okay, now we're going to continue the meditation. Is the flame dead? Is the flame dead? Where has the flame gone? Where has it gone? 
This is a meditation. We can talk to the flame. It's still here somewhere. My dear little flame, I know you're still here. You're just hiding yourself again. You haven't really left. You're not really dead. You're still here. I know it. We know. Listen. Listen. We see that while the flame was there, it was transforming into smoke and heat and the image. And the image of the flame is in us, continues as an image inside of you and me. And that heat that we received has penetrated into each one of us. And that heat has penetrated into the cosmos. And that smoke that rose up has become part of a cloud. That is the continuation of the flame. The flame always continues in another form, like the rain continues. The cloud, the cloud is continued through tea. The flame is always on a journey. It, it manifests as a flame, and then as smoke, and as heat, and as image, and then as a cloud. If we meditate well, we can recognize our flame in its other forms. So the flame has not come from nothing. The flame cannot die. The flame is only on a journey. And the same is true with everything, with a cloud, with a bird, with a human being. Children, when you hear the sound of the small bell, you can stand up and bow to the sangha and continue your practice outside. We'll ask you all to come back later. to the small flame. Where did you come from? Where did you come from? When we're in love with someone, we can look into the eyes of the other person and ask the same question. Darling, where have you come from? You are a wonder. I want to know. I want to know something. Where have you come from? And with meditation, we can get an answer. We listen. If we listen, we can hear the answer of the flame. And science does the same. It looks, it listens. It tries to find the origin and the source of things. And with 
this meditation, we may make use of our intellect, but also our heart. Where have you come from? You are a wonder. The flame will say, Dear Thai, dear Sangha, I haven't come from anywhere. I have not come from the south or from the north. Neither the south, the north, the east, nor the west. When conditions come together sufficiently, I manifest. I haven't come from anywhere. My nature is the nature of no coming. It's true with this flame. It's true with you, yourself. You haven't come from anywhere. Your nature is the nature that is non-local, non-locality. Non-locality is also a term of quantum physics. My dear little flame, where have you gone? In which direction? Which way have you gone? You're not here anymore. When our beloved isn't here anymore, in the form that we're accustomed to seeing, we cry. And in that pain of losing our loved one, we ask the other question, Darling, where have you gone? Why have you abandoned me? You, you have such a beautiful manifestation. You're a wonder. Why have you left me? Where have you gone? If we listen attentively, we can hear the answer. Dear Tai, dear Sangha, I haven't gone anywhere. I have not gone to the south, the north, the east, or the west. When conditions are sufficient, I cease this manifestation and I manifest in other forms. My nature is non-local. No coming, no going. That is my nature. We may be caught in the trap of notions. The notion of coming the notion of going, the notion of being, or the notion of non-being. And we are caught in the notions of birth and death. The Buddha helped us to look deeply to be able to free ourselves of these notions that are the foundation of all of our fear, our despair, our anxiety. Let's suppose that time is represented by a straight line. This is only a supposition. And here, towards the left side, we have a point. We choose a point, and we'll call that point birth. What is birth? It's a notion. This is the object of our meditation. What is birth? Birth, in our head, is from nothing 
we become something. From no one, we become someone. Right? Before birth, we're not there. The segment of the line that comes from the left end up to the point of birth, we call that non-being. It's nothingness. Nothing. Nothingness, the void. Non-being. So we, we think that this non-being exists, that this nothingness exists. And then from that non-being, at the point of birth, we pass into being. At that point, from that point on, there's being. And that being continues. So according to our thinking, birth means from non-being, we pass into being. And that continues up to a point that we call our death, the death of someone. What is death? What is it to die? According to this way of thinking, dying means from being, we pass into non-being. That is the logic that dominates our thinking. So death means from the realm of being we pass into the realm of non-being, nothingness once again. Existence begins at the point of birth and ends at the point of death. There is a beginning and an end. These are notions that are the foundation of our thinking. In Buddhism, we are encouraged to practice right thinking. Right thinking is thinking that's free of notions like beginning and birth, death, being, and non-being. When we meditate on a flame, when we meditate on a cloud, we may discover the true nature of things. Does a cloud come from nothing? No. Before manifesting in the form of a cloud, that cloud has been water vapor, ocean water, heat from the sun. So that cloud isn't a beginning, it's a continuation. A cloud is never really born. Its nature is the nature of no birth. What is it to be born? Being born means from nothing we become something. From nothingness we pass into being. But that is not the truth, the real case. The cloud has not come from nothing. Like all of us, 
We have not come from nothing. We are all continuations. So there is no birth. There is no beginning. There is only continuation and manifestation. The birth of a flame is not really a birth because when we say birth, it means from nothing we become something. From no one we become someone. So the word continuation is a better word. And the word appear, appearance or manifestation, those are better than birth. Manifestation of a cloud, manifestation of a flame is more accurate than to speak of the birth of a flame or the birth of a cloud. If we think about the death of a cloud, can a cloud die? It means, can a cloud go from being to non-being? We see very clearly that a cloud can become rain or hail or snow, but a cloud can never become nothing. So death is impossible for a cloud. Death is impossible. The notions of birth and death cannot be applied to reality. That's why the first law of thermodynamics also declared the same truth. Nothing is created and nothing is destroyed. Everything transforms. This, this, uh, these words were pronounced by the scientist named Lavoisier, a scientist from France. He said these things. The first law of thermodynamics is that you cannot create matter and you cannot destroy matter. You cannot create energy. You cannot destroy energy. You can only transfer or transform energy. We can transform matter into other matter. We can transform matter into energy. We can transform energy into other energy. We can transform energy into matter. But we cannot create matter. We cannot create energy. We cannot destroy matter. We cannot destroy energy. So there are these clear points of agreement between science and Buddhist wisdom. So with meditation we can remove these notions, the notion of birth and the notion of death. Scientists may not meditate in the Buddhist way, but they have discovered the same thing. They say that nothing is created, nothing dies, nothing is lost. It's true with the cloud. It's true with the flame. It's true with a human being. We don't die. If we can remove the notions of birth and death, then anxiety and fear also disappear. If the father, if the pair of opposites of birth and death is removed, 
being and non-being are removed. The notion of non-being becoming being, this is illogical. How can nothingness become not become something? How can non-being become being? These are only notions. They do not apply to reality. To qualify the flame as non-existing before it manifests is false. Calling the flame non-existent after its manifestation is equally false. These notions of being, non-being, or existing and not existing cannot be applied to reality. Reality is free of notions like being and non-being. We cannot describe a cloud in terms of birth, death, being, and non-being. So, to be or not to be, that is no longer the question. It was a question, but it is no longer a question. To be or not to be, that is no longer the question. So when we remove the notions of being, non-being, we also remove the notion of coming and going birth and death, one pair of opposites, coming and going, being, non-being, these are pairs of opposites. When conditions are sufficient, something manifests, Now we have two flames, two matches are lit. The first one has gone out, and now we'll ask the second one. Are you the same flame as the other? Or are you a different flame? The second one was lit from the first flame. This is a great question. You may have a photo of yourself taken when you were five years old. You can ask the same question looking at that photo. Am I the same person as that child in the photograph? Or am I a different, am I another person? You are completely different from that child. Your form, your body, your feelings, your perceptions are very different from the form, the feelings, and the perceptions of that little boy or girl of five years old. Are you the same person or are you a different person? Are you the same or are you something different? Identification or differentiation. When we look deeply with meditation, we find that you are not exactly the same thing, same person. 
the second flame is not exactly the first flame, but it is not an entirely different flame either. It's a continuation of the other flame. The same is true about you. You're so different from that little boy, that little girl. You're not the same person as that child, but you're not an entirely different person either. So neither the same nor different. That's the truth. Sameness and otherness. Identical, same, or different, other. Sameness or otherness. So these are notions. We now have four pairs of notions. There's also left and right, beginning and end, other pairs of opposites. Self and not-self, mortal and immortal. But these are the four basic pairs of opposites. We cannot touch the ultimate reality with these notions. These are the notions that block us from touching the ultimate true nature of things. And to meditate is to look deeply, listen deeply, to get rid of all these notions and get in touch with reality, the ultimate. In the ultimate truth, we use, in Christianity, we use the word God. In Buddhism, we talk about nirvana or suchness, suchness, things as they are, reality as it is. But the word being is a trap. If we say being, we have to recognize non-being. That's an, a pair of opposites. If being is, then non-being also has to be there. Reality transcends both being and non-being. So to use the word being to represent the ultimate reality is not good because being is a notion that has an opposite, which is non-being. So we should not, we cannot describe the ultimate reality. We cannot describe God in terms of being or non-being. There are theologians who say that God is the ground of being, the ground of being. But that doesn't quite work, because if God is the ground of being, who was going to be the foundation of non-being? So the notion of being or non-being cannot be applied to God. We describe 
God, if we try to use the notion of being, it, it's impossible. The notion of non-being is equally impossible. To say God does not exist, that's false. To say that God exists is equally false because God cannot be described in terms of being and not being. Because being or non-being, to be or not to be is no longer the question. So in Buddhism we have a term which is the middle way. The middle way. <coughs> this is a this is an insight that transcends all the pairs of opposites. That insight obtained through meditation is free of all notions, even of being and non-being, coming, going, sameness, otherness, birth and death. This is what we call right view in Buddhism. Right view is the, the basis of everything else. The basis of all our action that brings peace, happiness, harmony. If, if a view is not right view, it's wrong view. And actions based on wrong view will bring about a lot of suffering, separation, discrimination. Right view is a view that is completely free of all notions, including the notion of being or non-being. There is a famous sutra. It is available in all the Buddhist schools in which the Buddha gave a definition, a definition of right view. Kachayana. Kachayana was a monk, a disciple of the Buddha, and one day he came to the Buddha and said, Dear teacher, you have spoken many times about right view. What is? What is right view? And the Buddha said this, very simple, right view is a view that is that transcends notions of being and non-being. And if we continue, we see that right view is also free of other notions, other pairs of opposites like birth and death, coming, going, sameness, otherness, beginning, and so with right view we can very well produce right thinking. Right thinking is thinking. 
that is totally free of discrimination, of fear, of anger, because right thinking is born, is based on right view. If you have if you have got right view, that discrimination is no longer in you. That way of thinking that is dualistic, this is very important. Right thinking is thinking that is free of discrimination. The wisdom of non-discrimination just like my two hands have. There is no discrimination. Your suffering is my suffering. My well-being is your well-being. That's right view. The view of interbeing. There is no more separation, discrimination, fear, jealousy, or complexes, not even the complex of, egal of equality. So on that basis, any thinking we produce can only be right thinking. Thinking that is full of compassion and understanding. And when, when you When you give rise to this kind of thinking, when you produce right thinking, full of understanding, full of compassion, that thinking begins to heal you, body and mind. It does a lot of good, a thought of compassion, a thought of understanding. Understanding means understanding suffering. If we understand the suffering in a person, if we can recognize and understand the suffering of a person, we don't have any more anger towards that person. We don't have any more discrimination. Compassion is born in us. And you have only the intention to do something or to say something to help the other person suffer less. That kind of thinking heals you and heals the other person. So a good practitioner is someone who is capable of producing right thinking. We can heal ourselves. We can heal the world by our thinking by producing right thinking, thoughts of understanding, of love and compassion. If you have that insight, that right view, without discrimination, then your thinking will be right thinking. The thinking that has the power 
power to heal and nourish your own body and mind and the world. That is the thinking that the Buddha recommended. And we can produce this kind of thinking all through the day. That is already a kind of action. Thinking is already an action. If you produce thinking that is filled with discrimination, violence, hatred, there are those of us in the world who produce these kinds of thoughts, thoughts of despair, of hatred, of anger. This kind of thinking destroys our body and our mind and the body and mind of the world. Let's suppose a person is thinking in terms of discrimination. There's a lot of wrong perception. I think that that person thinks that everyone else is trying to destroy that person's country, that person's culture or religion, their people. So with that wrong perception about other people, the person has a lot of fear, a lot of hatred, a lot of anger. And that person forms the intention to kill, to eliminate those other people because that person thinks that if he or she doesn't do that, then, then he or she will be killed by those other people. So this is the conduct that leads to terrorism. A terrorist thinks that if he doesn't kill, he will be destroyed by those others. He's completely overtaken by fear, by anger, by violence, by hatred, and by wrong perceptions because the person doesn't possess right view. So all the thoughts that that person produces, all the thoughts that that person produces are destructive to himself or herself and to the world. This kind of thinking dark thinking can lead to a suicide or murder. If we have this kind of dark thinking of anger, of despair, it can push you to kill another person or yourself. So thinking is already one action. A practitioner does not want to produce this kind of thinking, wrong thinking. A practitioner only produces right thinking because wrong thinking can kill, can destroy. With right view, we can also practice right speech.
in this kind of speech, there's only understanding. You understand your own suffering, you understand the suffering of others, and you know what you should do and what you should say to make a relief of the suffering possible. You say things that can save and inspire people. A good practitioner can always say something to bring relief to himself or herself and to another person. A letter, a message, a phone call, these are actions of right speech. So speech is an action. Speech can very well bring about a transformation in the person who speaks. Words can help us to transform ourselves, can bring peace, reconciliation, well-being to ourselves, and also at the same time offer peace, reconciliation, well-being, and relaxation to the other person. So a good practitioner can practice right speech throughout the day, changing himself or herself and changing the world. If you say something, it should be only for your healing bringing peace to yourself, peace and healing to others. This is possible because you already have the right view. And then there's right action. It means bodily actions, deeds, what you do with your body based on right view. We do not kill anymore. We no longer destroy. We seek to protect, to save, to rescue, to help. And when we can do something like that, it helps our own body and mind and helps others. So, right thinking, right speech, right action will be able to build peace in ourselves and in the world. These are energies that are generated by the practice. Like the flame manifesting during its short time with us, the flame produced <coughs> smoke, heat, and image. It continues in those forms. The smoke is still here in the air, in the sky. The heat has entered into the cosmos, into each one of us, and also its image. So there is no death, there is only continuation in different forms. A cloud doesn't die, a 
flame doesn't die. It always continues. The same is true with us. Every day, we produce thoughts, we produce words and deeds, and those are our continuation. Nothing is lost. Every thought that we produce contains, carries your signature. You produce that thought. Every word carries your signature because it's you who said that thing. And your deeds also carry your signature. Nothing is lost. Your actions, your threefold action, triple action, thinking, speaking, acting, they are your continuation into the future. When this body disintegrates, you are not dead. You continue always in the energies of your actions. So you are not only this body. You think you're just this body. That is wrong view. That is not right view. You are rather your actions. There is a philosopher, French philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre, who said virtually the same thing. He said man is the sum of his acts. Man is the sum of his acts. You're not just your body. You are your thoughts. You are your words and you are your deeds, your actions. In Buddhism, we use the word karma. That means action. Triple karma. Thinking is one kind of action. Speaking is another kind of action. Physical acts are the third kind of action. All these different kinds of actions create a retribution, bring about a retribution. And that retribution is twofold. Action is threefold. Retribution is twofold. There is retribution in the the living being, the person, and there's retribution in the environment. So the first kind of retribution is called principal, principal retribution. You are not just this person, because your environment, your surroundings are also your retribution. That's retribution in the environment. So we need to know how to look to see ourselves. Your action has brought you a retribution in these five elements of your person. Form, feelings, perceptions, 
mental formations. And consciousness. And your retribution is also found in your surroundings. You, you have constructed, you have made your environment. Your position in society, your milieu, your career, these are also the retribution of your actions. When you practice walking meditation, you may try to see things in this way. The tree that you see is also you. You are not only this person, you're also that tree. And the child whose hand you're holding is also you. There is, there is your continuation in your own person already, but you are not only in that principle retribution, but you are also your environment. I draw a circle. So Thais drawn the fig. Uh, Thais drawn one circle and then another outer circle, and in between the two, the space in between the two, he's writing the word cloud. So this is a cloud. It's made up of a multitude of crystals. and ice and water the cloud may journey through a certain period of time one part of the cloud may become rain So, when we speak of the death of the cloud, we're really speaking about the passing of the cloud from the form of cloud into the form of rain. So now, going down around the right side of this outer outer space between the two, the space between the two circles. Now the word on the right side says rain. So the upper word cloud is transitioning into the word rain on the right. The cloud gradually ceases the form of cloud and takes on the form of rain. But while the process is going on, only one part 
has turned into rain and the rest is still cloud. And if we speak of the birth of the rain, we are simultaneously talking about the death of cloud. But this, this passage is happening all the time. When we look into our own body, we see the, the passing is already happening, death and life. are going on in every moment, every instant. There are thousands of cells dying. And in every moment there are the births of thousands of other cells. We have the tendency to think that what we have right now is life and death is this thing that happens later on. Death is now. Every, with every breath we have death and we have life. There are cells dying in this very moment. We're too busy to organize funerals for all those cells. There are new cells being born and we don't have time to organize baptisms and birthday parties for all those cells. So just like the front and the back of a piece of paper, they always go together. The above and below are always together. They always have to be there with the other. One always has to be with the other. The same is true with death. Without death, there is no life. Without life, there is no death. Those two things are they enter are. And the Buddha said, this is because that is. If this is not, that is not. That is the wisdom, the insight of interbeing. But we have done better because we see that birth and death are just notions. Nothing is born, nothing dies, there's only transformation. So this line by which cloud becomes rain isn't birth or death, it's just transformation going on. Nothing is created, nothing is lost, everything transforms. That's what Lavoisier said. So if we say, I will die, actually we're dying in this very moment. The passage from cloud into rain is ongoing. There's no death, there's only transition, transformation. The cloud cannot die. So down here it's rain, and the rain may from a certain point also transform into something else, a stream, a river. So that passing from rain into river happens like that. There isn't a death of the rain or a birth of the river. There's just a, a passing, a transition, a transformation. It's just transformation. 
This part of the cloud already becomes rain, so we no longer see the form of the cloud. But the cloud still continues in another form. And now the cloud can look down and see itself in the form of the river. Later, the whole cloud will be together in the river. But right now, there's still part of the cloud up in the sky and it can look down and see itself in the river. And also see itself in the rain falling and the river taking in the rain. If you say, right now I am myself and I, on the day when I die later on, I may be reincarnated into some other form. That's not correct. The transformation, the continuation is going on right now. If you look deeply, you will see that you are not only here in this direction when you point at yourself, you're already out there. <coughs> so the cloud looks and it sees itself not only here in the cloud, but also in the falling rain and in the river. We need to think in the same way. You have already, you're already continuing outside of this body and mind. If you have children, they are one form, one part of your continuation. That is one retribution. Thinking, speech, and action with deep looking, we can recognize ourselves already, here and now, our continuation, see ourselves in our continuation, in our future. The water from that river or an ocean will transform into vapor, water vapor, and the water vapor will become a cloud again. This is the cycle of samsara, continuation. Nothing is lost, everything transforms. Look, look. If you don't see yourself around you, it's because your concentration, your mindfulness are not yet deep enough. Suppose we speak again of the cloud. The cloud is there. And there's a cloud here in this meditation hall. When you breathe, when you breathe out, you produce cloud. Maybe we don't see a cloud in this meditation hall, but there is a cloud in here, even if it's invisible. When you boil water, the water becomes steam, water vapor, and you don't see the water vapor, it's invisible, but that vapor exists, and it's here in this room. Our collective vapor, we are the the authors, 
we have produced, we are producing a cloud in this room, invisible but here nonetheless. If, even if we don't see it, there is water vapor in the air in here. And that water vapor is journeying. Imagine a, a mountain. The wind blows. The air travels up the side of the mountain with the water vapor. And when the water vapor in the air encounters coldness, it starts to rise. When it rises up to a certain level, it encounters the cold, coldness. And when the water vapor encounters the cold air, it reveals itself as a cloud, and then you can see the water vapor. You may think the cloud has only just begun to exist, but that's not true. It did not come from nothing. It came from something. So you see clouds up here on top of the mountain, visible now. So with your words, your thoughts, your bodily actions, you're there all around yourself. Do you see yourself? Everything around you is you. So retribution is not just in your body, it's in your environment. In my case, when I look out, I already see my continuation. I am already re reincarnated. And I don't think I am just this body and mind sitting here. This body will be destroyed. I'm not attached to this body because I see that I am much more than this body. When I look at my friends, my students, what I do in terms of thoughts and speech, looking at them, I see my continuation. It's impossible for me to die. I continue always in other forms. Death is impossible for all of us. Anxiety, is a destructive energy and we humans must must endure experience this pain and suffering of anxiety but if we can touch our true nature of no birth and no death if we can touch our nature of interbeing we can 
get out of that anxiety. We're no longer victims of anxiety. So it is possible to ensure a good continuation, a beautiful continuation, by practicing the five mindfulness trainings. We practice right thinking, right speech, right action. What we think, what we do, what we say can only create harmony, compassion, wellness. And with those, we also have right livelihood, right diligence, right mindfulness. That's what we practice in Plum Village. Breathing, walking, eating, working in mindfulness to cultivate right concentration. We live our life in concentration. We're really there to live every moment of our life deeply. That's why we can make the breakthrough into reality that gives us the right view. Right view is the effect of mindfulness and concentration. Right mindfulness, right concentration. With right view, we can ensure a beautiful continuation. So this is the the Noble Eightfold Path leading to happiness, leading to the cessation of ill-being. In Buddhism, we speak of the Four Noble Truths. The first truth is that suffering is there, ill-being is there. In our body, in our mind, and in society, we have to acknowledge the existence of ill-being. And in the light of interbeing, if ill-being is there, something else has to be there at the same time, well-being. Just like the left and the right, the front and the back of the paper. So the third noble truth is the cessation of ill-being, which is the presence of well-being. First truth, ill-being. Third truth, well-being. And then there's a way of living that leads to ill-being. That's the second noble truth. And there's a way of living that produces well-being. That's the fourth noble truth. So we can describe the second and the fourth truths in terms of path. The fourth noble truth is the noble path leading to the cessation of ill-being means to the presence of well-being. So the fourth truth is a path, and that path 
is called the Eightfold Path, a very noble path. The second truth is also a kind of path which is not noble. Wrong view, wrong thinking, wrong speech, wrong action, everything is wrong. That's the ignoble path. There is discrimination, hatred, anger, fear, all of that that produces a lot of thoughts of violence, of hatred, of fear, etc. So the second truth is a path that leads to ill-being, that destroys well-being. And we may recognize the second truth when we look deeply into the fourth truth. The second truth is the opposite of the fourth truth. And the cessation of ill-being, the third truth, if we touch deeply that truth, we will touch something wonderful, the ultimate. We touch the nature of no birth and no death, the nature of no being and no non-being. We touch the absolute. We touch nirvana. And when we touch nirvana, all kinds of wrong views are removed, all kinds of discrimination are removed, and we are in the middle way, transcending all notions. And then we feel a very profound kind of well-being. This is not even a well-being that's an opposite of the ill-being. It's a much deeper kind of well-being. There is no more fear. You may have happiness, but you might be afraid that your happiness is going to leave you. So you do have some happiness, but it feels very tenuous, impermanent, and it's going to leave you one day. So that is not the deepest kind of happiness. But when we touch deeply the third truth, we touch nirvana, touch God, the ultimate nature of reality, there is no more fear. That's why it is a much greater happiness that the Buddha called nirvana. But nirvana is not something we need to go looking for somewhere else. The no birth, no death nature, our cloud doesn't have to go looking for that because the cloud is already established in the realm of no birth and no death, just like a wave on the surface of the ocean. As a wave, we may be conceived with a birth, a beginning and an end, a rise and a fall, and the wave can suffer a lot if it thinks of itself only in terms of having beginning and end and rise and fall. But if one day the wave 
recognizes that it is also water at the same time. That's something very important for the wave to know because then the wave can live its life as a wave but it can do better because it can live its ultimate reality of water at the same time. As soon as the wave recognizes that it's also water, there's no more fear. Then there's no more beginning and end, really. So the wave is happy in the rise and just as happy in the fall because there is no more fear, fear of being or of not being. That's nirvana. And the wave doesn't need to go looking for water. The wave is water, here and now. Nirvana is the same. We don't need to go looking for nirvana. We are established in nirvana. It's just a matter of recognizing our own true nature. It's the nature of no birth and no death, no being and no non-being. It is merely a question of waking up. We wake up to our true nature. We don't have to seek nirvana somewhere else. We are already well established in nirvana. The Buddha had a disciple, Anattapindika, Anattapindika served the Buddha and the Sangha for about 30 years. He made a practice center for the Buddha in the city of Srivasti. He came and listened to the Dharma every week with his family, and he was a very happy practitioner. One day, the Buddha learned that Anattapindika was very sick. The Buddha went to visit Anathapendika's house, and after that he asked his senior student, Shariputra, to go and visit Anathapendika so that he could die in peace, without fear. So one day Shariputra learned that Anathapindika would soon die. So Shariputra invited his younger brother in the Dharma, Ananda, to come with him. When they came, Anathapindika couldn't get up to greet them. Shariputra said, Dear friend, please stay where you are. We will bring a couple of chairs over to your bedside and talk with you. So the monks sat down, and Shariputra said, Dear friend, do you suffer greatly in your body? Anathapindika said, Yes. The pain is increasing all the time. I'm suffering quite a lot in my body. So Shariputra said, Okay, then we're going to practice Recollection of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. You should breathe and bring your attention onto the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And 
Putra offered Anathapendika a guided meditation. Shariputra is a very intelligent monk. He knew that Anathapendika took great pleasure in serving the Buddha and the Dharma. Every time Anathapendika thinks of the Buddha, he feels happy. Every time he thinks of the Sangha, he feels happy. So, giving this guided meditation was very good. He's watering the good seeds in Anathapindika. So after about five or ten minutes of this practice, Anathapindika felt much better because the seeds of happiness were being watered. Now he could have a greater balance for the pain and he suffered much less. So Anathapindika practiced with the two monks. He practiced what we heard this morning. This body is not me. This body has not come from nothing and this body will not just disappear. When conditions are sufficient, this body manifests. When the conditions are no longer sufficient, this body ceases to manifest, to manifest in other ways. The same is true with the eye, the nose, the mouth, the ears, and the mind. Breathing in, I am aware of the element water in my body. Breathing out, I'm aware of the element water outside my body. Breathing in, I'm aware of the element heat in my body. Breathing out, I'm aware of the element heat around my body, outside. Meditation is for recognizing the elements in our body and all around our body. Meditation is for seeing the nature of no coming and no going of all things. Breathing in, I know when conditions are sufficient, I manifest in this body. Breathing out, I know that when conditions are no longer sufficient, I cease my body ceases to manifest in order to manifest other ways. I am of the nature of no birth and no death, no coming and no going. The guided meditation was exactly what we talked about this morning with the children. At a certain point, Anathapindika began to cry the tears ran down his cheeks. Ananda said, Dear friend, do you regret something? Is there something you still regret? No, Venerable Ananda, I don't regret anything. Why are you crying? 
Has the has your meditation not been successful? No, Venerable Ananda. I've practiced very successfully with this guided meditation. So why are you crying? Venerable Ananda, I'm crying because I'm so moved. I have served the Buddha and the Sangha for 30 years, but I never heard such a teaching that gave me so much transformation and peace. This teaching, this practice offered by the Buddha, Ananda said, you, as a lay student of the Buddha, you haven't heard this, but we monks, we hear this teaching almost every day. Anathapindika said, Dear Venerable, please go back to the monastery and tell our teacher, the Buddha, there are laymen who are too busy, don't have the time to receive and put into practice this wonderful teaching. But there are others like myself we have the capacity to receive and put into practice such a deep teaching as this one. Please tell our teacher about this. And those, that was the last sentence that Anathapindika pronounced. And Ananda said, I will do it. Then Ananda, Anathapindika died in peace. He had no more fear because he had touched his true nature of no birth, no death, no coming and no going. So when we practice meditation, we can bring about a relief. But the greatest relief comes from touching our true nature of nirvana, of no birth and no death. It's possible. The wave can do it. The cloud can do it. The flame can do it. And we can do it. Let's invite the children to come in to to sing a song together. No coming, no going. To conclude this summer retreat of 2012. I, the monastics are asked to come up to the front with the children to sing. We may like to uncross our legs and massage, massage, okay, massage our legs. Uh, you may like to stand up now and we can all sing together. <laughs> 